What kind of present do you want for Christmas? That question is easier to answer the younger you are, it seems. That question is more fun to answer the younger that you are. I remember when I was a kid, I could talk your ear off about the kind of Christmas presents I wanted to get. It drove my parents and my brothers crazy. And maybe if you have kids at home, you kind of know what I'm talking about. But there's something to be admired about the, the excitement that kids have about Christmas, about presents, isn't there? No, we don't want to encourage our kids to have an obsession with material blessings. That we speak against that whenever you hear yourself saying something like, Why do you need another remote control Batmobile? Why can't you just be happy with what you have? Right? But that joy, that unbridled excitement, that focus on the thing, the toy, the video game, whatever it is, that merely the thought of having it brings them such glee, and the thought of not getting it brings them such dismay. We don't really feel that anymore, the older that you get. I would wager that if somebody asked you, as somebody probably has, what kind of gift you want for Christmas, maybe your first response was, I don't know. But I'll bet you that after thinking about it for just a moment, your mind went to your needs. Not the, the items, the toys that you wish that you would have that would be so fun to have, but what do you need? What needs need to be filled the fastest? That's the question we become really good and answering the older that we the older that we get what do i need not so much what toys would i enjoy having but what do i think i should get to fill a hole in my life why does it become this way because the older that you get the more you realize what need really is you're not a kid for long until you experience grief one of your relatives pass away, or tragedy strikes, and one of your friends is taken from you. You don't have to live very long on this planet until you get uh, the ability to think about your own actions. And your conscience is pained by the things that you've done. You feel guilty. Before life goes on for too long, you know what betrayal is. You know what disappointment is. You know what it's like for someone to harm you, to hurt you, and to lose trust in that person that you once respected. That's what turns our focus to our needs, doesn't it? As we begin to focus on how do I make this grief go away? How do I get this person that I've harmed to forgive me? How do I make my life better? And before you know it, all that we're thinking about are what we lack, the holes in our lives. And when it seems like a, a gift or a toy or whatever fills a particular hole, a stimulus check, that will help us cover rent for a couple months, our minds just drift and it's off to the next need. We never sit very long in any one spot. We're long enough to cultivate true joy. We have forgotten what joy even is. But that's why I'm so happy that you've tuned in to this worship video. As the children of our congregation have led you in God's word, 
As we have sung together the hymns praising our Savior Jesus, Christmas is all about rediscovering what true joy is and how to find it again. That's the secret of tonight's lesson. I, I have no doubt that you have spent a great deal of time and effort pursuing what you thought was true joy, like I have. And I say what you thought was true joy, but because wasn't it a matter of time before you realized that the joy that this or that endeavor provided doesn't last? You may have pursued intimacy and love with all of your efforts, with all of your strength, but wasn't it just a matter of time before you realize that another sinful human being cannot provide you with the wholeness and the completeness that you desire? Maybe you pursued a substance to make you feel good, to numb the pain, to, to give you the strength, the comfort, the energy to move on with your life, but there's only a, ma a matter of time before the high fades and you need something to pick you back up again because reality comes back and hits you in the face. Maybe you pursued power, prestige, recognition at your job, thinking that that was your source of true joy, but once you got it, once you got the promotion or the pat on the back or the good job, you realize that the joy with that is fleeting. There's always something that you should be working on. There's always something that you need to be doing better at. You can never feel like you've arrived. And yes, maybe you pursued joy by buying stuff. The things that you never got to have when you were a kid. But didn't you find it was just a matter of time before your eyes pass over those items in your house? As much as you crave them in one moment, you hardly notice that they're there anymore. Now, I'm going to be real with you. Searching for joy, searching for meaning, searching for significance, anywhere other than God's grace, is a pointless venture because we will never find it. It's true we will never find true joy anywhere other than God. Because think about this. How often don't we hear that the most important thing you can do with your life is pursue your heart's deepest desires. Go after what you're passionate about. And that sounds like a really good way to live our lives. But as we've already seen, sometimes our heart's passions leave us feeling more empty than before we started. Because... What if our heart itself is messed up? What if our heart itself is, is crooked? And so the desires, the passions that it produces might seem good for a moment, but in the end, going after what our heart tells us to go after only drives us further and further from God as we look for happiness and joy and value and meaning in all these places other than Him. Should God give us what we want? Should God condemn us to a life running after our own desires? Like a child asking his dad for a 
reciprocating saw or a power drill for Christmas just because it looks cool. And that dad knows that as soon as he gives that child that power tool, it's a matter of seconds, if not minutes, before that kid hurts himself. No, God isn't forced to do anything about our situation. But he does. He does. He saw the path that you were on. He knows the ways that you've run away from him and run after something else. But he's given his answer. He has looked down from heaven and seen the way the human race treats each other as we're all trying to get joy in different places other than him. And he responds. He reacts. You can see his reaction in the manger. God's response to our joyless life is with a baby. A baby. A baby is supposed to teach us what joy is? Well, this baby can. Because he's not just any baby. What's his name? What does his name mean? What does his name mean to you? I know you've thought of it. But what do the angels say about the baby? They call him a savior. They call him the Messiah, the chosen one. They call him the Lord, God himself. But let me show you what the Apostle Paul calls this baby. In Titus chapter 2, verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. You walk up to that manger on that first Christmas Eve and what do you see? The grace of God. Grace. It's a church word that we use that means God's unconditional love. God's love free from conditions. God's love that is given to you when you had nothing to offer in return. God loves you with an everlasting love. And this is how he showed it. He sent his son, Jesus, to be born a baby. Not just any old baby, not just a regular baby, but a different kind of baby. If Jesus was born just like you and me, if he wasn't God, if he was just a human being, then he would have a crooked heart like ours. He would run after crooked desires <clears throat> like ours. But since Jesus was not just any kind of baby, and he was not just any kind of person, he grew up. Being both 100% God and 100% man, he pursued what God wants, not just what his own heart wants. Jesus knew what joy actually was because he did God's will at all times and in every way. So that when he went to the cross, Jesus gave up that joy. He gave it up as he was sacrificed for you to pay for your sins and to give you true joy. The joy of your forgiveness, the joy of God's grace. This is the timeline of God's grace. It goes something like this. Jesus is born on Christmas Eve. Some 33 years later, he is nailed to a cross. And three days after his death, he's placed in a t after his being placed in a tomb, he rose from the dead. 
so that he could guarantee that your life does not end with you facing the music for all the sins you've committed. It does not end with your punishment in hell, but that you have heaven, the hope of heaven, to look forward to when you breathe your last on planet Earth. That's joy! Knowing that you are loved so much that Jesus has done everything to take care of your eternity. And that there's nothing that you have to do to take hold of this gift for yourself. It's freely given to you. Just trust that it's yours. That's it. But you know what? The story doesn't stop there. What kind of gift do you want for Christmas? Well, heaven is given to you as a gift, but that's not all. And that's where the Apostle Paul goes. It, that is God's grace, teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. What's the gift? On top of the love and forgiveness in heaven you've been given? God has given you your life back. God has given you yourself back. Because God has freed you from the need to look for the joy that only He can give anywhere other than Him. You are free from asking a, another person to make you feel whole and complete in the way that only God can. You are free from looking for peace and comfort in any other place, in any other substance other than Jesus Christ, who gives you the peace of knowing that your sins are forgiven. You are free from worrying about where you are going when you die because Jesus has secured that it's going to be heaven through faith in him. And that means that when those worldly passions, as Paul calls them, those sinful desires of your past snarl their teeth and try to get you to Go back on those tracks. You can walk away and say no. And you can say it with a smile. Because of what God has said yes to. Yes, you're forgiven. Yes, you are loved. Yes, you are significant in his eyes. You are valued to him. You are his people. You are his person, his child. He has purified you. He has made you his very own. That's all what you see in the manger. God's grace. God's grace to forgive you of your sin, to purchase for you heaven, and to give you your life back so you can live it, not in pursuit of joy, but in the reality of the joy that is already yours in Jesus Christ. Jesus was born a human baby, and he grew up a human person, but he was a different kind of person. And by that I mean he was a holy person. He was a righteous person. He was a just person, a good person, a perfect person for you. And he died. 
He died on the cross as if he wasn't that kind of person. He suffered the death of a sinner. Why? So that he could make you a different kind of person. A person that no longer needs to look for joy anywhere other than God. Because you've seen it. You've seen it in the manger. You see it at the cross. The grace of God. It makes you a different kind of person. Amen.